0: Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and ask once again that you would take this service, that, Lord, our singing would bring glory to your name. Lord, that we would remember that today you are the audience, and, Lord, that our lives are on display, and we pray that they would bring worship to you. We ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to work in our hearts and lives and show us things that need to be changed so that our lives can be used in a greater way in your service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing. And We are on the final countdown, five Sundays, until our anniversary celebration begins. Our church will be 20 years old. October 7th, Uh, actually the first service we held was October 8th, 1992 and so we look forward to this and have been for several years and uh, as we are just going over some different things and trying to get a little history of our church uh, so that uh, people that come here will be able to understand some of the things that God has done. And uh, as I was doing that, I thought, well, maybe the last several Sundays, because once the anniversary celebration starts, I, I don't—I get to announce the preachers and sit down. And so uh, what we're going to do over these next several Sundays is go through some sermons that I have preached before. In fact, this sermon is a very special one to me. Uh, this was the first sermon that my then... Uh, I don't even know what she wasn't my fiance yet we weren't engaged um, but it was the first time that Julia ever heard me preach and, and I hope I do a little better job with the delivery today than I did uh, all those 20 some years ago but but it is the same basic sermon and the title of the sermon was Mercy. And not many weeks after I preached the sermon, as she got thinking about it, she wrote the song uh, that you heard today. And so uh, that doesn't happen very often, but it was a very special thing to us. And I, and I hope and pray that even though you may have heard this message before, that it would be uh, instruction and be a blessing to you, that we're going to start our search through the Bible in Luke chapter 18. And while you're turning there, we we need to understand the word mercy. Mercy is one of those words that we really, really misuse today. The truth of mercy the best way I've ever been able to come up with it is this. Mercy is received by the vanquished at the hand of the victor. Mercy is something that is given to the defeated by the one who has defeated them. You see, when we have a conflict today... We say, well, you beat me, but you just wait until you go to sleep. I'm going to get you. Uh, You may have been able to beat me, but I got a couple of friends, and we're going to find you. Mercy cannot be given until a person understands they have lost the battle. We have emphasize this thing of being good losers in our society until where nobody understands what it means to lose anything anymore. And then some great tragedy comes along, like the stock market crash, and people actually lose something. And everybody runs to court and say, we're going to get it back. Well, I'll tell you what, it's not there to get back now, is it? people lose a battle they lose a contest on the battlefield and there are people that have died in in that contest on both sides and what do they do they immediately begin to rearm and try again because nobody knows what it means to lose what it means is you cannot get up and start again it's over It's finished. We have many people who will never accept God's mercy because they cannot comprehend the fact that they have been beaten by sin. They cannot understand that the battle has been lost and there's nothing you can do. How many sins does it take to miss heaven, my friend? God's standard of righteousness is high. In fact, God's standard of righteousness is His righteousness. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I doubt there's anybody in this auditorium this morning that would be so arrogant as to stand up and say, well, I'm as good as God is. But yet, though we wouldn't utter those words with our mouth, we attempt with our lives to be as good as we possibly can be. In fact, I knew a person one time said, listen. I've done the best I can, and if that's not good enough, tough. Well, we'll be tough, my friend, but not on God. Mercy. What mercy is, is something that the defeated receives at the hand of the victor. If you study the American Civil War and its history, one of the reasons why the reconciliation of the peoples of this country took so long. In fact, every once in a while, I'll still find somebody trying to fight the Civil War. Uh, and I, I just want to remind them that it's over. There was a peace treaty signed. It was surrendered. But no, they're still trying to fight. You see, you can't have mercy until you've lost. Until you've been defeated. You cannot receive mercy. That's what mercy is. Probably the greatest, and I've used this example before, I hope you don't mind hearing it, but the greatest example of mercy in modern history was what happened in Tokyo Harbor in 1945 when the Japanese surrendered to the American forces. What is the most advanced nation in all of Asia today? What is the closest ally the United States has in Asia? It is Japan. Why? Because they received mercy at the hands of the United States and we rebuilt them. MacArthur, the general of occupation, said, send me a thousand missionaries. In fact, I don't know if he got a hundred. But he got a thousand engineers and he got a1,000 financiers, and he probably got 10,000 businessmen. and that's what Japan is today. I wish he'd gotten a thousand missionaries he'd asked for. It'd be a different world. But that is mercy. And one of the reasons why people do not get saved today is because they do not understand that their personal sin, their lifestyle, choices they have made have consequences between them and a holy God. They do not understand the principle of defeat and destruction because it's always... I'll just get up and do it again. When you've lost, you can't get up and do it again. It's done. It's finished. It's over. Now, in Luke chapter 18, we see an example of mercy. We see a man who understands his need for it. And we'll read, starting in verse 35 through the end of the chapter, and it came to pass as he was come nigh to Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, give me some money. Is that what your Bible says? No, his cry was, Have mercy. On me, And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. Now, let's just get our picture here. Here's a blind man sitting by the wayside, by the highwayside, begging. Now, beggars ask for money, for food. And he's sitting there as the crowds are passing on their way into Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. No better time to beg than when someone is on their way to Jerusalem to a feast. Because they're thinking about God and they're thinking about giving and all of this. And I mean, this guy was doing what he did. We didn't have all of the social program and blind workshops and handicapped things that we have today. His only means of income was to beg. And so he sat there. But it's interesting, once he heard that Jesus was there he changed his plea from things he could hold into his hand to his greatest need, which was mercy. And Jesus commanded him to come and he was probably not, maybe even so kindly, guided through the crowd by pushes and shoves until he stood in front of Jesus and Jesus said, what do you want? And he said, that I may receive my sight. Now look what he did when Jesus had compassion on him and gave him his sight. It says, immediately he received his sight, and what? Read those next words, if you would. And followed him. Are you there? Verse 43. And immediately he received his sight. Now let's read it all out loud. And followed him. He took the mercy that God had given him and used it to follow Jesus, bringing glory to God. That is the picture, that is the reason this story is in here, is to illustrate before you and I today plainly the way mercy ought to work in someone's life. Mercy is not something that you just receive. Because once you get it, it changes you. And that change must be reflected back toward the giver of mercy. Amen? Are we together here? We've gone through the textbook definition, the working definition, and now we have a picture, a living illustration of the way mercy works In the hearts of men. It is not a direct line from God to your heart. It is more of a circle that passes through you and goes back to God, bringing honor and glory to his name. That is the ultimate goal of God is to be glorified in our lives. Amen. And we're going to look at several places in the Bible today. The first place I want you to go is the book of Leviticus. Now, how many of you, when you do your daily Bible reading, go, Oh, no, Leviticus. How in the world does preacher even pronounce that word? Uh, Leviticus is the rules and regulations of the ceremony of the tabernacle. If you understand the Bible, Leviticus is one of the most exciting books in all of the Scripture. If you don't know what's going on, it's just a bunch of strange words. I challenge you, get past that and understand what the book of Leviticus is talking about. We could spend our entire time this morning just here in chapter 16, but I only want to touch on a few uh, verses here. Let's go down to verse 12. And he shall take his censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock. And sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgression in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Now here is the ceremony that is attached to the Jewish celebration of Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. God ordered this to Moses on Mount Sinai. It was inscribed in the Bible for us today. A tabernacle or a tent was to be built. Inside that tent was two divisions, the holy place and the most holy place. Inside the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant, which was simply a wooden box overlaid with gold. In it was the tablets of stone that God had written with his own finger on Mount Sinai the second time and had given to Moses. The lid of that box was a piece of solid gold. It was formed into two cherubims which put their wings on high and there was a hollow spot there, under an empty spot, under the wings of the cherubims. That was the mercy seat. It was a physical representation of the true things which are in heaven, which we'll find by reading in the book of Hebrews in just a moment. Every year, the high priest would take a bullock, a young bull, and he would kill that bull and, and gather the blood of that bull into a bowl. And he would go in with a censer, a cup basically full of burning coals and incense. And he would reach behind that veil and he would hold that t- there until that second place, that most holy place, was full of smoke of the incense. He then would put the censer aside and he would step completely into the darkness of that room. No light. And he would dip his hand into the blood of that bullock and he would sprinkle it seven times upon the mercy seat. He would then kill a baby goat and do the same thing. This was the picture of of the work of God in the redemption of mankind. The Old Testament word, atonement. It's the idea of the rolling back or the postponing of the payment. It is the idea of a satisfaction, of a completion. But the entire meaning of the word was that this was not the finished pr- price paid, excuse me, but that everything would be okay because of what was done today. Are we still together there? Well, let's go to Hebrews. It's interesting that as God explained the name of this place, He told Moses that it was to be called the mercy seat, the place where mercy sits. And so we go to the book of Hebrews in chapter 9. And we start reading in verse 7. It says, But into the second, and this is talking exactly what was in the book of Leviticus, went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of his people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience." which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained... Eternal redemption for us. Skip down with me, if you would, to verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, the Old Testament was the pictures. It was the representation. It was a living illustration of what God would do to pay the price for our sins. The true mercy seat is the throne of God. People often question, why did Jesus have to die? There had to be a blood sacrifice, my friend. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And God will not accept the blood of the innocent animals as the final price paid because that doesn't change anything that any one of us has ever done. That's why God became man, my friend. Because the only man that ever had victory over sin was the God-man, Jesus Christ. His blood is the only blood in all of the history that has not been tainted with sin. How could God die, somebody ask? God cannot die. But Jesus was a man as well as God. And as a man, he laid down that life and shed his blood The Bible tells us that he ascended into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, and that he shouldn't offer himself often. That one time he dipped his hand into that bowl and sprinkled it seven times upon the throne of God. If you and I could imagine this, the very lap of Almighty God is sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. You know why God can forgive our sins? It's because of the payment that was made, the bloodstains that are on His garments. Do you know why you cannot lose your salvation? Because you cannot go and remove the bloodstains that are there. It is an eternal work, all of God, None of you. The religions of this world get together and they fight about how you're going to be good enough to please God. I want to tell you today that if you want to be a true believer in God, you have no business in that discussion because there's nothing any religion or any religious person could ever do. To pay the price of one sin, let alone all of them. It is the blood sprinkled upon the mercy seat. The blood of the sinless Son of God. And yet the Son of Man. Someone says, I can't understand that. Good. Because if you did, you'd understand it wrong, my friend. There's no way you can understand God. He's too big. He's too great. But he chose to show his mercy to us this way. But yet that mercy is not yours. Until you admit that you're defeated. How many of you have Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 memorized? That if thou... Shall Say it with me, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 13, for whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's mercy is there, but He will not give it to anyone who refuses to admit total and complete defeat. You cannot please God with your life. It takes only one sin to deserve hell forever. but if you will come to the mercy seat you will find forgiveness not for only one sin but for all sin you cannot sin a sin that shocks god he already knew about it before you were born but we're not calvinist here god didn't plan for you to sin but he made you with the ability to choose And he wants you to come and admit your defeat. Admit your inability to be as good as God is. That's not too hard now, is it? But you have to understand that there's nothing you can do to please God, it's a total surrender. Then he gives you mercy. He forgives your sin. I met a preacher one time. He said, if I believed that, he said, I'd just go out and sin all the time because God will forgive me for it. I said, preacher, the Bible talks about people like you. It says, God forbid. You cannot accept his mercy and go do what you want. Because once you accept his mercy, it will demand a change in your life. Somebody said, but but I still sin after I'm saved. I hate to say this, but join the club. We all do. But our human nature isn't an excuse to go out and do what we want. Because we have surrendered to the mercy Of the God who paid the price for our sins. And so when I sin, where do I go? Back to the mercy seat. Because that's where forgiveness is. You say, but don't I need to clean some things up? Well, sometimes you need to go to someone and ask their forgiveness. Yes. But don't go ask someone else for their forgiveness until you've asked the king of mercy for his mercy. Get it straight between you and God. Then you can go and straighten it out with another human being. You say, but I'd have to do that every day. Uh, Only if you're living, amen? Only if you're alive. That's what God wants us to do in his mercy. He wants us to stay close to Him. He wants us to understand that His mercy forgives our sin. Mercy changes us, not God. He doesn't need changing. If you've been saved today, if you are sitting here and you're saved, you completed that circle of mercy in your life. If you have not, I would challenge you, do not leave this place without coming to the mercy seat and surrendering to the God who paid the price for all of your sins. He will save anyone and everyone, but he will not save anyone who will not understand that they are defeated that they cannot get to heaven by their own. You must come to God defeated to receive His mercy that will save your soul. And all God's people said. That's point one. We got about ten more. No. Just a few. How many of you have ever been tempted to do wrong? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, uh, I challenge you, uh, take your finger, not your thumb, and uh, put it right here. Make sure there's a pulse, all right? Because if you're living, you are tempted to do wrong. But God has extended his mercy, not only in salvation, but in how to overcome temptation. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 19. We'll see the picture In the Bible, by the way, this is the first time in the scripture the word mercy is used. If you want to follow, if you want to understand something in your Bible, follow it through the scriptures. As God uses the word, he will explain it to you. And we come down to... um, Verse 15, it says, And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. The Lord being what? Merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. Now, this is the story of the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their sins were so awful that God sent his angels there. Did he send them there because he wasn't quite sure how bad things were and he wanted an eyewitness report? I hope nobody believes that about God today. He sent the angels there for two reasons. He wanted Abraham to pray. And if you have some time, read Abraham's prayer. Abraham starts out and says, God, if there's 50 righteous in Sodom, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And before Abraham is done, Abraham says, Lord, would you destroy it for 10's sake? Now, Stop and think about that. We just read the verse. The angels laid their hands upon Lot, one, Mrs. Lot, two, and their two daughters that were with him, that was four. That meant Lot had other children in the city of Sodom. We don't know how many he had. But that's four right there. if Lot had reached six people in the 25 or 30 years that he had lived in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, God would not have destroyed the cities. But God knew how many righteous were there, and he sent those angels in to pull Lot and his family out of the city. Now, if you know anything about Lot, he was... Not an example of anything. Mrs. Lot didn't make it out of the city completely. I mean, she was out of the city, but she turned and looked, and the Bible says she became a pillar of salt. Lot's daughters are forever exiled to the darkest chapters of human depravity. And yet I want you to turn with me to second Peter chapter two. This is what God says about Lot. Verse seven, second Peter chapter two, and delivered just Lot. Now did you get that? Second Peter chapter two, verse seven. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man, dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul, today, righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment. To be punished. God knows how to deliver you and me out of temptation. Then why do we fall? It's because we have not received mercy. We think somehow... That because we have read our Bible or somehow because we have uh, achieved a certain level of spiritual maturity that somehow we can handle the temptations that are in this world. I want to challenge you, nobody deals with temptation and comes out on top. Only God can. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't have this verse memorized, you ought to. Verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. That's the number one lie of the devil, my friend. You see, nobody's tempted like I am. Nobody else knows what it means. Let me tell you something. Every other human being, they may not have the same problem you have, but they know what it is to be tempted and to fall into sin. That's why we had to go to the mercy seat to get salvation, my friend. you got to go to the same place to fight temptation. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God, who is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are a- that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. God has made a path for you to have victory over temptation. He's made a way to escape. The problem is, unless you stop at the mercy seat, you're not going to see it. Unless you... Admit that you cannot fight temptation on your own, you will never get the mercy that God has for you to overcome it. Mercy. I need to surrender my ability. What did not Peter do the night in which he betrayed our Lord three times? Denied our Lord three times. I'm sorry. Jesus said, pray that ye enter not into temptation. What did Peter do? He slept. Peter denied the Lord because he was not willing to admit his defeat. His inability to win. And therefore he stood on his own and he failed. Turn with me to Genesis chapter twenty four Genesis chapter twenty four now we don't have time to read the whole story. Let me give you the background very quickly, and then we'll just read uh, the key verse here or key verses. But Abraham was seeking a wife for his son Isaac. He knew that if she married, that if he married the local Canaanite girls who worshiped false gods and and did not believe in the true God of heaven, that there would be problems maintaining the righteousness of his son. He said, I must find a wife for my son who will believe and worship the true God of heaven. And so he called the servant of his house and he sent him back to Haran, to the land, the place where he lived before uh, he... uh, emigrated into the land of Egypt. I mean, into the land of Canaan. Wow. And let's get down here to verse 26. And the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I, being in the way, the Lord led me to the house Of my master's brethren. Not only had he gotten into the right town. He had gotten into the right family. And it would be Rebecca that would be brought back by the servant to marry Isaac. How in the world did that all happen? Well, the servant summed it up in the verses that we read. He said, I being in the way... The Lord led me. You ever wonder why God doesn't give you His direction in your life and answer your questions and teach you the way that you ought to go? Maybe it's because you're not in the way. The surest way to know that you're in God's will is to be there today. Hopefully, you'll be there tomorrow. But if you're not in God's will today, what hope of you of ever being there tomorrow? We make decisions. Let me tell you something. One of the things I deal with in any young couple that comes, we had this conversation, Brother Franz and Miss Sonia. We had this conversation, Peter and Ashley. You can't make a mistake when you choose to get married. You're not allowed. If you're going to serve God in the ministry, you've got to do it right the first time. Otherwise, you have no right to stand in the pulpit and preach. It's what the Bible teaches. How do you know you're doing right? Well, you'd better get some mercy to be in the way. Amen? It starts when you get saved. It continues as you fight against temptation... By the way, you're not doing the fighting. God had better be doing the fighting or you'll be doing the losing. Turn with me to Proverbs. Just a simple two verses. Another one of those wonderful passages you ought to put in your heart and in your soul. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. It is a surrender to God's direction. It is saying, I'm not smart enough to figure out my life, my way. I cannot know how I should choose. I'm just going to surrender my will to God. I want Him to write over me His desires and His plans and His intentions. Tell you, God's got a lot better taste than any of us in here. Amen? He's not going to pick a dud for you when you're talking about the issue of marriage. But sometimes God says no. Can we trust him with that too? If you can't, you got a problem with mercy. you got a problem with your heart, not with God. I mean, God is not the problem. We are. You have a decision. You say, I need to know what, the, what I'm supposed to do with the future. I remember as a 16-year-old boy, I was praying, Lord, what am I supposed to do with my life? That was a long time ago. I've been there almost three times now. Let me tell you something. I know I made the right decision when I was 16. To surrender my life to be a preacher of the gospel. I know I made the right decision when I walked down the aisle with my Bride of 24 years as of tomorrow. I know I made the right decision when I moved our little family to Astoria to start the Open Door Bible Baptist Church. I'll tell you, it's really easy to stand and tell you, I made the right decision when we moved to buy this building. But there were some days when it didn't seem so right. Right. But if you put yourself at God's mercy, he will direct you. But it's got to be his mercy and not yours. It's got to be his direction. It's got to be a complete and total surrender. Just one more. This is the biggest and the most uh, Wide-reaching of all the points other than salvation with which nothing else that we talked about matters. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Actually, if you think about this correctly, this last point is is a summary or a conclusion of the entire sermon. Verse 14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy. And find grace to help in time of need. We started out with a blind man. He had a need. And yet his plea was not. Jesus, thou son of David, open my eyes. It was Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Then his eyes were open. We have many needs in our lives. Your greatest need is the forgiveness of sin. You can only find that at the mercy seat, whereon the blood of Jesus is sprinkled. You must admit that you cannot do anything about your sin, that you have lost the battle. That you cannot get up. There is not another day to fight. There is no energy left to do anything. I completely surrender unconditionally to the God of heaven. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's mercy to give you victory in the hour of temptation. If God delivered Lot He'll deliver you But you've got to accept His mercy And until you accept His mercy By giving up on your efforts And your abilities to keep yourself anything You surrender to God He'll give you the mercy to overcome when you have to make a decision that you cannot make a mistake with. By the way, there aren't many decisions that you can afford to make mistakes with. You'd better, in all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. The place where you're going to find that mercy is the throne of grace. My question is for you. Not, is God's mercy available? This whole sermon is here to tell you that God's mercy is available. It is there to save your soul. It is there to give you victory in temptation. It is there to guide you every step of the way. It is there to meet every need that you will ever have. But it won't be yours until you surrender so that God may give you mercy. Mercy is received by the vanquished at the hand of the victor. Will you admit your defeat? Will you admit your loss and your powerlessness to a holy God? Powerlessness. Will you accept his mercy? He will change your life. But once you receive that mercy, just like our blind man, he followed him. God does not give his mercy for you to follow your own path, his mercy is for you to follow him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And Lord, I pray that each one of us here would be willing to look at our life. Are we still trying to tell God, God what we want Him to do? We're not ready to receive mercy. Are we still trying to earn His goodness or His grace? We're not ready to receive mercy. Lord, that we would understand what it means to have a full and complete surrender, that we may receive mercy from the victor. Please, dear Lord, give our hearts the ability to understand your words, that we would release ourselves and our ideas and our thought processes and trust only in you. We ask you to do your work during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning, 489, I Surrender All.